Hi, and welcome to Vax Talk, the podcast for people who absolutely don't want to get the flu in the fall. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra, General Pediatrician at Blank Jones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And today we are continuing our August uh, podcast palooza for National Immunization Awareness Month. This week we are talking about uh, pregnancy and maternal vaccinations. And you know what, like two minutes ago I had what it's actually called up on my computer and I clicked out of that link. So that that's what we're going by today. Pregnancy and getting getting vaccinated in pregnancy to protect mom and to protect baby. Mm. And we have a really exciting guest that we're actually just going to jump right into our discussion with her because she is fabulously qualified to talk about this. We're talking today with Dr. Flora Munoz. Um, she's an associate professor of pediatrics at Baylor College of Medicine, and she's also the director of transplant infectious diseases and an infectious disease consultant at Children's at Texas Children's Hospital. And on top of all of that, and, and I could say her her CV is about 17 pages long <laughs> and super impressive. Uh, she's she's done so much research and written so many papers and and really dug into this topic in particular. Uh, she is on the Committee of Infectious Diseases for the American Academy of Pediatrics, and she's also on the immunization expert group for the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She's the only pediatrician in that group, and that's why we are super excited to talk to her today. So welcome, Dr. Munoz. Hello. um, Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's really, truly our honor. Uh, We wanted to have you today because we wanted to talk about how important it is for a mother to get vaccinated when she is still pregnant with her baby. And let's just start with the very, very basics. When we have a woman in pregnancy and you know, being pregnant can be kind of overwhelming because there's so many tests and so many appointments and so many this and that, and you're trying to stay awake most of the day. Uh, when we're when we're doing all of this, uh, at some point there has to be a conversation about vaccines. What vaccines should uh, should mom get when she is pregnant with baby? Yes, absolutely. It's a critical point to make sure that both mother and baby are healthy and that um, this begins actually even before pregnancy. So if we think about the concept of mom's health, uh, one important aspect is that they themselves have been uh, receiving their vaccines when they were children and when they were adolescents. But specifically to your question regarding the vaccines that are now recommended for pregnant women, there are two. One is the influenza vaccine, which is given every year uh, because just as uh, with non-pregnant women, uh, it is necessary to receive an influenza vaccine every year. And then the uh, Tdap, which stands for tetanus, diphtheria, and a cellular pertussis vaccine, which includes actually two vaccines that are uh, important for pregnant women, the tetanus shot and also the pertussis or whooping cough shot. And uh, this is a vaccine that needs to be given to women every time they are pregnant, even if they've been vaccinated before, because the goal 
goal is really to protect um, the babies from severe pertussis in early life. And the only way to achieve that is to make sure that uh, every baby is born with enough immunity through the maternal vaccination at each pregnancy. Do you have a sense of how, what the uptake is of, for both of those vaccines in pregnant women in, in recent years? So that has changed over time. You have to um, think about how long we've been recommending this. And certainly for influenza vaccine, we have a recommendation to give it to pregnant women that dates back to the 1950s. And this is based on information on previous pandemics. So the 1950s pandemics and before where uh, it was clear that women who are pregnant are at higher risk of complications during uh, from influenza, especially in the third trimester of pregnancy. And so um, the recommendation has been there for a long time. However, before the most recent pandemic, the 2009 pandemic with H1N1 flu, um, the coverage in the United States was quite low um, in general. It was about 13% uh, for influenza vaccine, although you can probably find different practices where there would have been much better coverage. Um, however, after the pandemic, the um, good news was that the coverage has increased to about 50%. Now, we are much better, but still not 100%, uh, where it's really the goal should be um, about 100%, you know, women should get the vaccine. But uh, about half of them are getting the flu vaccine, and this has been sustained since the pandemic, which is actually a good thing. Um, for the whooping cough vaccine, the recommendation is new. So this is a vaccine that we only started giving to pregnant women in 2012, as a consequence of having more cases of pertussis in young children and actually deaths in babies um, from this vaccine preventable disease, given that these babies could not receive the vaccine themselves until they're, until they're two months uh, of age. So vaccinating pregnant women became routine in 2012, and the uptake has been steadily increasing. Uh, but it is only about a third of women right now that are receiving their uh, Tdap vaccine in general. This is national data. Uh, again, there are practices where probably the uptake and the coverage is much higher than that. I'm really glad to be talking about this. It's a topic that I don't get to talk about enough with my colleagues, um, who are largely pediatricians. Um, and of course, we don't give vaccines to pregnant women, and, um, but it affects our practice a lot. So I'm very interested in hearing about um, what the uptake is and do you know when we talk about you know when we see numbers like half of pregnant women are getting the uh, flu vaccine and a third are getting the Tdap when we when we're talking about low rate like that and now I'm going to kind of shift a little bit and talk about HPV vaccine in um, in adolescence we see lower numbers than we want for that and we know data wise based on surveys and whatnot that that is part um, resistance from patient slash parent and part a difficulty with getting providers to make a, a strong recommendation. Do you see that same balance when, we, when it comes to the maternal immunizations as well or is it more weighted one way or another? Is there more resistance? Is there more lack of awareness? What, what seems to be the issue? So it's a combination of factors and um, you know I agree with you that maybe as pediatricians we don't 
think of maternal immunization uh, being necessarily directly related to our, our practice, but but it is, and, and I just want to say that before I answer the rest of your question, uh, in the sense that we do have an opportunity uh, when we interview and when we are interviewed by future mothers uh, to talk about these vaccines and to talk about the reason why they should receive the vaccines in order to protect their babies. Uh, for the most part, women are going to be very much accepting of this option. Um, now that it has become routine, and especially again after the pandemic, you see more and more uh, acceptance of the vaccine. Um, if women understand uh, the long-term or the potential uh, downstream effects, if you will, in terms of protecting their babies, including for several months after they are born. And so um, I don't think that it is necessarily an issue of resistance in general, because uh, once uh, it is clear to a pregnant mother that uh, the interventions during her pregnancy are going to benefit her baby, uh, the acceptance is high. However, I think that there's, again, a combination of issues. Uh, it has been a slow progression of uh, incorporation or uh, implementation of this practice in many uh, obstetric offices. Um, there is tremendous support from the um, leadership in uh, obstetrics and gynecology in the United States with ACOG supporting maternal immunization completely. Uh, but when you look at the reasons why obstetricians might not be offering it in their office, it has to do with the fact that traditionally they have not been vaccinators. So they might not have the infrastructure, they might not have the, the right personnel, the freezers, you know, the, the the system in place to be able to give vaccines. And that requires a change in in their uh, the way that they work uh, with pregnant women in their offices. Uh, the fact that they're giving other vaccines is also helpful, and so there are practices that are incorporating that. Um, there's also a concern for um, uh, costs and a concern for uh, what to do if, if there's any concern from the mother uh, in spending more time uh, talking to the mothers. But in terms of the safety of the vaccine, for example, because moms will have questions, and so there is a need to spend a little bit more time discussing uh, the rationale and, and the safety of the vaccine. So all of these um, aspects are definitely being um, considered, and uh, there are many tools available to obstetricians uh, through the ACOG website and through other uh, venues such as the CDC websites regarding maternal vaccines and uh, how to improve coverage and how to talk to moms and, and how to even uh, implement this in their practices. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's that um, process that is still needing to take place is, is one aspect. Um, the other, which is quite particular for influenza vaccine, I think is the fact that um, there still is a lot of baggage, if you will, that comes with the flu vaccine because um, many people in general don't take the flu vaccine. Uh, so when I tell you the coverage is about 50% for pregnant women, that is much higher than for the general population, except for some specific high-risk groups like um, elderly or, or uh, persons with high-risk conditions. And I think that that has to do, again, with concerns regarding um, is the vaccine going to cause any side effects? Uh, people think that the vaccine can give them the flu. Uh, people think that uh, maybe they are not going to be protected even if they get the vaccine. And so it's a matter of um, reinforcing the, the benefits and the potential effects on the infant uh, and trying to discuss these concerns with the mothers.
so one of the things I kind of want to go back to, you were talking about how one of the ways to sort of s- smooth the road for, for parents as far as, you know, convincing them that the vaccine is worth getting and th- that it's easy to do is that it's there's benefits to both mom and baby. Do you think you could explain exactly what are the benefits of getting a flu shot and a Tdap to mom in pregnancy, but also what, what happens with baby that makes... Um, that makes these vaccines so helpful for the baby. Absolutely. This is an important point, and it's different for each vaccine. So for influenza vaccine, as I mentioned, the uh, greatest concern is that the mothers do have more severe influenza towards the end of pregnancy. So it is recommended that any woman who will be pregnant or who will be delivering uh, during the flu season should receive the flu vaccine because they could have pneumonia, they could have complications associated with that pneumonia, including preterm labor, preterm delivery, and other um, secondary bacterial infections, just like other populations can. But the third trimester is particularly of concern because this is when the um, uh, abdomen is much larger because of the size of the baby, and there is restriction of the ability of the women to breathe and to be able to clear secretions and to be able to really have a good lung capacity to resist infections. So, the recommendation for many, many years has been that women get the vaccine mostly to protect themselves. However, data has been available in the recent uh, 10 to 20 years uh, showing that as with other vaccines, clearly uh, have it has been shown with other vaccines that women who receive the flu vaccine during pregnancy have a higher uh, level of antibody to the flu virus that is contained in the vaccine. And those antibodies are very efficiently transferred through the placenta to the baby and that those babies do have protection against um, anything related to flu. So fever illness uh, and influenza confirmed illness in the first few months of life. In some studies that have been done abroad, it has been shown that this protection can last several months, uh, even up to six months uh, or longer, depending on how long the influenza is circulating in in that particular region. But uh, part of the effect is thought to be due to passage of those antibodies also through breast milk. And that has been um, measured and it's been demonstrated that you can find those antibodies in breast milk. Um, Traditionally, with what we call epidemiologic studies, so just looking at the incidence of the disease in different populations, you can see that babies who are breastfed tend to have fewer respiratory infections and also fewer gastrointestinal infections. But now we understand the process much better. And so this is some of the um, background, if you will, as to why uh, not only we really want to make sure that this mother remains healthy so that she can have a term pregnancy that is healthy for herself and for the baby, but also that the babies um, have a benefit in the first few months of life. And this is particularly important because, um, as you might know, there is no influenza vaccine for babies in the first six months of life so that um, they do have a risk of infection if they are born in the middle of the flu season, but they cannot get a vaccine for themselves until until they're six months old because that's how the vaccines um, that we have right now are administered um, there are no just there's just no available vaccines for babies of that age um, so 
you can see there the, the many potential um, good reasons why um, if uh, moms are given the option, uh, especially right now, we're expecting the flu vaccine to become available in the next few weeks, they should be getting the vaccine. And let me see if you have any other comments about flu, and then we can probably talk a little bit more about the rationale for the pertussis, if you would like. I don't think I have any more questions about the flu. I do wonder about um, when it comes to flu vaccines, because in general, we don't have great, um, you know, great uptake of flu vaccine across the board. And you kind of mentioned that, you know, sometimes parents might have concerns um, about getting the flu from the shot, which you know is impossible. Are there other specific concerns unique to pregnancy that, that women bring up or cite as reasons that they don't want to get that vaccine, although it probably applies to both vaccines? Uh, sure, this would apply to any vaccines, uh, which is the fact that um, and this is probably more of a provider concern uh, than the women's concern, but um, you could have, um, as a potential consequence of a vaccination, um, a low-grade fever occurring after the vaccination. And so having fever during pregnancy is never um, desirable. And uh, that is something that is uh, worrisome. However, these vaccines do have a very low uh, uh, risk of, of causing fever. Um, other concerns um, could be related to, is the vaccine going to hurt their baby? So uh, we know, again, that the vaccines are made of a uh, pieces of, of the virus or pieces of the bacteria in the case of the the, the pertussis, meaning that it's a protein-based uh, vaccine. They're not made with a full entire uh, germ, <laughs> virus, or bacteria, and therefore these are non-infectious, and at the same time, they're unable to really cause any direct um, uh, injury as an infection uh, to the baby because they're not going to be... Um, uh, trans, uh, transplacentally transferred uh, to cause uh, a disease on the baby. Um, so that that is another another uh, aspect that needs to be discussed. You know, for for parents to understand what the vaccine is made of and and what is the expected. Uh, side effect profile that you would see. Uh, I have to say pregnancy, just like older age, actually is associated with less reactogenicity. So somehow women, as they are tolerant to their fetus, also tend to react less uh, to vaccination. So if you have, um, um, you know, arm uh, pain or swelling that might occur after a shot of any type, uh, it tends to be actually less frequent during pregnancy. Huh. And my understanding is that as far as, you know, there are some vaccines with preservative with thimerosal and some that are not, but there's no preferential recommendation for uh, pregnant women no, as far as which one to get. Although I know in some states they have laws about uh, whether or not a pregnant woman can get uh, a vaccine with thimerosal in it. Is that correct? Uh, so the um, Tdap vaccine does not have thimerosal in it. Mm -hmm. um, the only vaccines that will still have some is uh, are the um, multi-dose vials of the flu vaccine. Um, there are single-dose uh, formulations, so meaning it does not require that kind of preservative. You get the one one single dose in one syringe, and this is uh, widely available for for many uh, types of vaccine, a flu vaccine that are available out there. So um, it's really not a concern because, as we know, there is no association of thimerosal with any type of birth defect or with any type of autism of any kind. Uh, there have been many many studies showing that there is no association of that. Um, however, in the United States, um, the uh, 
this uh, preservative has been removed from most vaccines. And so uh, for those who might have a concern still, uh, clearly there are um, available single dose uh, formulations that do not contain it at all. And it's general, I think, uh, what is used in obstetrics. And as just like it is also for young babies, uh, it is the, the thimerosal-free single-dose syringe. It looks to me, just from when I've tried to do a little Googling and figure it out, that it it's a the majority of flu shots, I think, in recent years are thimerosal-free, although I have trouble getting exact numbers, but that's my impression based on certain statements and certain sites on this, or parts of the CDC website. And the other thing is that there are, I, I've seen studies even specifically looking at thimerosal in pregnant women, both in terms of um, vex, uh, flu shots. And I believe at one point, um, I don't know that if it does anymore, but I believe that Rogam contained thimerosal or some other immunoglobulins were included in this study. And again, looking at long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes and, and not finding uh, any issues there. So it's, it's very well, uh, it's very safe regardless of which vaccine. Uh, that you get. Um, do you have any other comments about that or should we go on to Tdap? Just one quick comment uh, is that the uh, vaccine for which we have the most safety information is actually flu vaccine in general because we've been giving it to pregnant women for many many years as I mentioned uh, because we gave it to many pregnant women in different types of formulations during the pandemic and that multiple studies both uh, observational and also prospective studies have been done uh, very consistently showing that the vaccine is safe uh, when given during pregnancy so that is for flu vaccine. Um, well, before you head into Tdap, I just want to yeah. mention that uh, you definitely are an expert in this area. Uh, I just want to point to your paper that was published last July, July 2016, Safety and Immunogenicity of Tetanus, Diphtheria, and Acellular Pertussis Immunization During Pregnancy in Mothers and Infants, a Randomized Clinical Trial. And you are the uh, primary author on this study. So um, you, you know your chops. So tell us about the Tdap and pregnancy. Yes, it'll be my pleasure. So the um, issue with the Tdap is that, um, again, looking at what would be the benefits for a pregnant mother to receive the Tdap. Uh, for that, you need to understand um, what was happening at the time of this uh, vaccine study and also when the recommendation came into place. So um, as you know, pertussis is a very common childhood disease, the whooping cough. Uh, we have known about it for uh, decades and decades and uh, it is a disease that we thought we had uh, controlled or at least uh, almost completely gotten rid of because since the 1940s we have a um, TDAP or uh, vaccine that is given, I'm sorry, not TDAP, DTP is the what I would like to say, DTP vaccine that is given to children uh, to actually treat uh, or prevent uh, pertussis. And so this vaccine was um, one of the first vaccines developed and uh, used widely in the United States. Uh, before the vaccine was available, there were um, literally thousands of cases of whooping cough in this country, and it was common that young children would have pertussis and, and die because it is a disease that can cause mortality from uh, difficulty breathing and, and a number of complications related to pertussis and disease in the lung itself. So we saw a very significant decrease uh, until the 1980s 
where there were uh, more cases uh, being reported and being identified of whooping cough, not necessarily in the youngest children, because we were doing very well in vaccinating children um, with uh, now what we call an acellular uh, pertussis vaccine, which started in the in the uh, in the 90s or so, in the late 80s to 90s. And so what happened is that we um, began to see more outbreaks occurring in children that were older because um, of waning immunity. So the protection from their childhood vaccines started to disappear. And so because pertussis is a human pathogen, it goes from one person to the other, there were still reservoirs, there were still people proudly carrying it, and those that were losing their immunity were then also becoming infected. So it's not a big problem necessarily for older children and adults. What they have is a chronic cough, a cough that lasts for several days that many people call sometimes walking pneumonia. They, it runs its course. They don't really have a lot of fever. Uh, it might be um, not very pleasant, but eventually they get better. Unfortunately, what happens is that those individuals will then be transmitting the swooping cough to younger babies in the homes. And then it is those babies, again, that are too young to be vaccinated, so less than two months of age, and who are born to mothers who probably don't have enough protection themselves to pass on to their babies, um, because we have measured that also in core blood. Uh, we know that they were born with very little antibody to protect them. So those infants were getting pertussis, and we were seeing... Uh, deaths of pertussis in the United States and more and more cases being reported every year. Um, as of 2012, actually, the number of cases that were occurring of pertussis in this country was very similar to what was being seen in the 1940s. So we could talk a lot about that, but there are a number of factors that are associated with that. Uh, one is the, the change uh, of the whole cell vaccine to the acellular vaccine that we were using for children. The other could be really a, an improvement in the diagnostic testing, so better ascertainment of the disease. But clearly there were enough outbreaks, and we saw this in Texas, we saw this in California, in many states uh, that were uh, raising enough concern that uh, whooping cough was not really under control as we thought and that we still were having deaths occurring. So we could not give a vaccine to babies at birth because they will not be able to mount a good immune response. They won't have enough immunity to protect themselves that early. And therefore, the um, only alternative uh, for this protection to occur was to give the vaccine to women during pregnancy. And the proof of concept, if you will, was that um, that study that you have uh, mentioned, which was a small study, but it was a randomized trial where we looked at mothers who had um, received the vaccine, the Tdap vaccine during pregnancy, compared to mothers who received it at the time of birth, which is what the initial recommendation was, so at the time of the baby's birth. And clearly, uh, the babies who were born to mothers who received the vaccine during pregnancy had much higher concentrations of antibodies, so protection antibodies that uh, could um, prevent them from getting the whooping cough in the first two months of life. And that is the little window, that is the period where we really, really want to prevent pertussis. And um, as I was mentioning before, in this case, uh, really the, the target is to prevent the disease in the baby. Mothers could potentially get pertussis themselves, but they might not be having such a severe disease. However, the babies will be hospitalized and potentially have a fatal disease at some point. So um, this intervention 
is really trying to take advantage of a natural process. We know that this antibody crosses a placenta normally and that uh, moms will actually have a good immune response to the vaccine. So we're going to boost their levels. They are going to pass that antibody to their baby. And clearly, uh, we have measured that that antibody can last for at least two months until the babies can get their own vaccination and then continue to have the protection for some time. So that is really the, the concept behind the Tdap vaccine. So I feel like we have, at this point, so much information, uh, thanks to you and others like you that have done the research, uh, that we know that, that Tdap and uh, influenza vaccine are of a tremendous benefit to babies that are going to be born. Um, what can we do to raise this awareness? What do you think, uh, what kind of outreach can we do? What kind of things that we need to do with providers and with parents so that they can understand uh, how important that this is because clearly this message needs to be out there more. Yes, and thank you for the opportunity for that because I think that um, a question that continues to be in the minds of providers and also of uh, mothers is, is this intervention going to be um, working? Is it going to be safe? Is it going to work? And so what I would like to share is that um, for pertussis in particular, we are not the only ones in the world that are recommending the Tdap vaccine for pregnant women. This phenomenon of having more disease in the very young age uh, of babies who are not protected, that can be protected through maternal immunization, is happening uh, globally, uh, but mostly in countries where they have been using the acellular vaccine for uh, childhood vaccination. And one nice um, story to share is uh, what has happened in the UK, where um, they also started vaccinating pregnant women in 2012, like we did. And they have a very nice um, system uh, where women receive their prenatal care and their vaccines for free. Um, you know that the coverage that they have achieved is twice as high as in the United States, is anywhere from 60 to 70 plus percent. And the benefit of that is that they have been able to follow the incidence of whooping cough in their population after this vaccine recommendation uh, became available with a very good coverage. And they have demonstrated that they are not seeing pertussis in babies whose mothers are vaccinated. Uh, they have decreased significantly the incidence in the under three months of age. And as a consequence, the mortality has practically uh, been uh, wiped out uh, of that. And so they are continuing this particular program over time, and they are gathering more safety information. I think it's important for, for both providers and for mothers who are pregnant to know that um, safety is paramount. So the recommendation to give vaccine is actually um, coming along with a very close surveillance for any potential safety events that could be associated with this intervention. And so both in the United States and other countries where this intervention is happening, and that, that also includes the flu, by the way, uh, there is very, very good um, data uh, continuing to show that it, it is a safe practice and that the benefits of protecting those babies are high. Um, in addition to education, I think that it is important to make sure that access is um, guaranteed or that it is ensured in some way uh, because 
we know that there might be difficulties again for some practices to provide the vaccine in their office and so it is important that uh, women who need the vaccine are allowed to go to a place where they can receive it if the obstetrician is able to recommend it and prescribe it but not give it in their office uh, it is going to be really important that moms can go to a pharmacy or to uh, another clinic uh, where vaccines are provided and receive that vaccine so the the issue of access to the vaccine and uh, being able to to do it in a timely manner is is also key by the way these vaccines are covered in the united states by insurance because they're part of the routine prenatal care and so um, hopefully cost should not be an issue um, another and, and another important part that has to do with this because uh, all of these concerns um, are related to again safety of the vaccine and making sure that any potential event that could occur uh, could be potentially attributed to the vaccine uh, even though pregnancy itself carries risk for all kinds of um, events and complications that could occur. But uh, when a vaccine is introduced, uh, there is concern both from, from the provider and for the um, uh, for the mother that, okay, it could have been the vaccine. So, so one important piece that actually helps a lot with this is that from a, um, how would I call it, regulatory standpoint, there has also been a significant change in how in the United States vaccines uh, for pregnant women are uh, evaluated and are uh, no longer considered uh, necessarily uh, something that is uh, not routine. And when I say that, um, the the package insert, by the way, for these vaccines does not include a specific indication for pregnancy. This is something that would re have required clinical studies that demonstrate that, you know, pregnant women are the ones who need to be receiving the vaccine and safety and efficacy and so on. That is not the case for the flu vaccine or the pertussis because these are vaccines that are already available and licensed for adults in general. And uh, because they are safe for that population, they are giving to pregnant women. However, uh, uh, that is a hesitation that many providers have. But um, there has been a change in the labeling of those package inserts so that any information that is available regarding administration of the vaccines for pregnant women, even if it is in retrospective studies, observational studies, is included there to inform the provider and, pro and give that reassurance that the vaccine can be given in addition to the official recommendation. That is one aspect. Yes, so this is actually very, very important. It has happened over the last, I want to say, maybe 15 years, but it is actually happening and that you will see at the FDA level, uh, it, it's called the labeling rule uh, for um, vaccines and medications that go for to into pregnant women, uh, and that we're not using those categories that used to be, you know, um, uh, basically eliminating any possibility of women to get these. If there's any information available, the the package insert will include that information. So and 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 support the recommendation. That's one thing. And very briefly tell you the second thing that has happened is that. Um, there is legislation that was approved uh, earlier this year. It's called the 21 Cures uh, 21st Century Cures Act. And that is critical because, um, as you know, in the United States, there is a provision for coverage uh, for um, 
liability, if you will, for any uh, concern that has come up uh, after receipt of a recommended vaccine in children under the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And that uh, did not include pregnant women before or their fetus. And that um, is actually what this 21st uh, Century Cures Act does. It has now been extended, this this uh, provision of uh, uh, vaccine injury compensation program has been extended to uh, pregnancy and the fetus now. And so this uh, concern for obstetricians is much less at this time because, or should be less at this time because of this, uh, of this provision. And uh, on a global perspective, I'm going to take you to the rest of the world now. Um, uh, and, and this is related to, again, regulatory agencies uh, and those that deal with um, doing uh, research uh, in, in general, but uh, there is more research happening in pregnant women. There has been a change in culture that is significant in that, as I mentioned before, women used to be considered a group that is not uh, accessible to research that should be excluded uh, from research because of concerns for uh, them being a vulnerable population, either the mother or their fetus. However, that has now become an inclusive uh, culture so that the current thought is that pregnant women should not be excluded from research that will benefit them or their babies, including the administration of vaccines or medications or any other types of clinical trials where we will have, through research, data that is specific to the pregnant women and to their babies and then be able to benefit them in the long term. So women who are pregnant are no longer considered a vulnerable population under uh, research in general, both in the U.S. and uh, throughout the world. So it's a very important change in culture. One last question before you go, Dr. Munoz. I'm wondering what is on the horizon as far as maternal vaccines? Thank you also for that question. So there is much work um, going on right now on maternal vaccines. The recognition that maternal vaccination is a potential platform that can be utilized to prevent a number of infections that are occurring in early life for the baby, but also that can be potentially uh, not uh, treatable or not prevented through any other um, intervention, in, 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 including uh, any early vaccination, is really what is um, helping consider vaccination during pregnancy a viable um, strategy, if you will, to prevent a number of diseases. And so we have, as we have been discussing, the ability to prevent influenza in the mother and the babies. We have the ability to prevent pertussis, whooping cough, in the babies through maternal immunization. And for many, many years, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but the administration of tetanus vaccine in the world has really made a significant impact in neonatal tetanus in many countries throughout the world. So that has been probably the most important uh, proof that this intervention works. But there are other diseases. There are specifically two that are in the very close horizon to be able to have uh, vaccines in the future. One is group B strep, so group B streptococcal infection, which causes neonatal sepsis, and for which we have currently in the United States 
prevention through antibiotics, but this is not necessarily the case throughout the world. And uh, given a vaccine to children is practically impossible in terms of being able to prevent uh, the disease because it happens on day one of life in many cases or in the first few weeks of life when they cannot respond. So a vaccine that can be given to pregnant women to prevent this infection in babies is key. And the second is respiratory syncytial virus or RSV. This is a virus that is very common. It causes a lot more respiratory infection in uh, young children than other viruses, especially in the first few months of life and in the first two years of life. And we see large epidemics in the United States. The um, highest risk is for babies in the first two months uh, who can have respiratory failure and for which we don't have any treatment available or vaccination. And so there is active research also going on right now in how having vaccines that can be given to pregnant women that, do, that would then prevent the RSV infection in babies in the first few weeks of life. That's really very encouraging, and I'm excited about all of those possibilities. Thank you so much, Dr. Munoz, for educating us, and I'm just wrapping my head around all of the information that you shared, and I think that it's going to be great for a lot of parents and a lot of providers to hear this, so thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone for joining us. My name is Karen Ernst. I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines and you can find Voices for Vaccines at our website, voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Nathan Boonstra and if you are so inclined, you can find me on Twitter at PedsGeekMD or on Facebook or at my blog, PedsGeekMD.com. Thank you everyone and remember, vaccines save lives. Goodbye. Thank you.